All right. This is a Saturday, right? I've yes. I've lost track of my weekend all right, already. So it's Saturday. So I, I mentioned on Twitter when I, when I publicized this, I've, I've taken the show on the road, and I mentioned it when I got here with you, Bill. I've, I've taken this on the road. I've done it a lot. I've, but I always end up in a spot where you kind of control as many variables as possible in a conference room, in right. somebody's kitchen, right. right? And we're out here in the grass behind a game at the best of Texas, right? Yeah, Next to the parking lot. <laughs> cars to our right, a field to our left, walls flying behind so I, a fence. It's, yeah. it's great. And what I loved was your attitude because I was like, hey, man, what happens, happens, right? This is real. This is real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about this because I'm, I'm excited about the prospect of just on top of learning from you, right, the opportunity for just sheer chaos, right? It'll be, it'll be great. Well, that's one of our coaching philosophies, be comfortable in chaos. Absolutely. So I'm here with, with Bill Caffaretta. I said it right. Yes, you did. Excellent. You did. Bill's the head coach at Dripping Springs. I was trying to remember the first time you and I met, and it was in New Orleans. Yep, it was in New Orleans. Right? Mandeville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was looking for a men's team to hook up with, mm -hmm. and I can't remember. I think I got your name from the tournament director Yeah, we because. Right? The first couple of years of the Victory Events guys, that's, we're at a Victory Events event right now. These guys are great letting us do this, and and they put on a great show, and they do the men's event in Louisiana and New Orleans, and we always had guys that wanted to play, and there's, it was never enough. So I always got in charge every year of putting together, like, the coaches team, and it was just any coach at the event who wanted to play would just come after their games and throw on a random penny and play, and that's how we kind of got introduced. Yeah. And you were out there banging on the young guys. There are two things that stand out to me about that. One was the fact that I got there, and I think you admitted pretty quickly that, hey, we don't have pennies. We're not that organized. So we ended up – I think I, I'm, I may officially be a deputized member of the Dripping Springs varsity team <laughs> yeah. because we played with, with drip Yeah, jerseys, some old pennies, yeah. Right? So, so I got that going for me. And the, and the second thing I remember was the goalie. So I play close defense. And early on, I think it was before the game started, I turned to the goalie and we were just, hey, my name's Michael, talking it up, right? And he looks at me and he goes, how, he goes, how old are you? <laughs> and I told him. And he goes, man, he goes, I hope when I'm your age, I can still play. And I'm like, I was trying to figure out whether that was a compliment. I wasn't sure. A little bit of both. I, th I think it was, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. All right, enough about that. So, you know, normal format, right? Um, I know just from the standard pre-interview discussion that we're going to get a mile deep on some really cool stuff about how you run drip, right? But before we get there, I want to talk about your your history sure. with lacrosse, right? How you found the game, how the game found you. Talk about, you know, I always like to hear about how, you know, if, if you played, started playing early, what your experience was early. Was it organized? Was it, you know, structured, not structured, right? All that. Yeah, so I didn't start playing the game until high school. Um, from New Jersey, you think East Coast, hotbed, that whole thing. But uh, I didn't really play. I didn't even know what it was until freshman year. Actually, the end of eighth grade, I learned what lacrosse was. Really? Yeah, the town that I grew up in, uh, Persephone, New Jersey, actually Lake Hiawatha, we didn't have lacrosse. They do now, but they didn't then. And so I moved to Montville, uh, right down the road. And I moved there in middle school and, and played basketball. Big basketball was, was my sport. And then I realized I was short and stout. It wasn't going to happen. But got to high school. And it was actually that eighth grade. And, and 
all the kids were wearing jerseys. I'm like, what are you wearing? Like, I never even seen those before. They were the old school porthole Team USA lookalike jerseys. Oh, yeah. And they were in the North Jersey Youth Championship that weekend. I was like, what is lacrosse? I had no idea. So then freshman year, I played football. And I was playing basketball. and was the start of basketball season. And uh, Coach Gallucci came up to me in the hallway, and he's like, what are you doing in the spring? I was like, I'm just going to try out for the baseball team, see how that goes. He's like, no, you're not. You're playing lacrosse. I was like, I, what is this lacrosse? I still didn't understand it. I had no idea. And Montville is a traditional original member of lacrosse programs in New Jersey going back to the 60s when the school started and they were part of Booton before then and that's when you had Booton and Montville and Mountain Lakes were all one program in the 40s and 50s and I just didn't know what it was I had no idea and um, he's like well I've seen you play football and you get to go out there and you get to run that fast and hit that hard but you get to do it with a stick sign me up sign me up so I'm curious so when I talk to I know when I talked to Brand, and I think when I talked to Jordan too, you know, they come from, like you said, or, or the term you use, like a, what, what all, we all think of in the South as a traditional hotbed. Mm-hmm. But like in Brand's case, and Jordan's too, you find out the town they were in, like didn't have yeah. lacrosse. Yeah. Right? But then you go to the next town or two towns over, right? That's huge. And they've got this history. It's huge. Right? How, so what's the and, explanation for that? So even if you go like three towns in a row, you have Mountain Lakes, one of the top programs in the entire country. It's an amazing program. These kids are three years old with sticks in their hands. One town over Montville, which is where where uh, I went to high school, we were good. We just couldn't beat the top teams. Um, you know, we were in the top division and did great, but like we didn't have that. That you know, we didn't live for it the way the other programs did. One town over didn't have it at all. So it was like a three-two-one nothing. Um, what what accounts know. for that? I don't know. I don't know. It just didn't. I guess having the extra sport. But, I mean, that was 20 years ago, so I, I, I can't even really think back to why. I know it's grown a lot now. I mean, the, there's hundreds of programs in New Jersey now, but when I played in high school in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was maybe 60. It's, it's, it's just, I don't know what accounted for it. Um, so what's, what's, interesting in, what's interesting for me, and, and maybe I'm reading too much into it about that, is you know, we, we get really hung up here in Texas about the growth of the sport, the governance of the sport, you know, trying to trying to provide equity right trying to make sure every school is represented right and the reality is even back in these quote hotbeds it's not it's not the case it's not the case right there are towns right or schools right that, that are that are that are true hotbeds and then you go next door and there's not lacrosse we and had to travel a bit for our games i mean there was some close you know i guess what you would look at as your d1 d2 D3 model we have here. There we had three divisions. We had the Gibbs division, the Risk division, and I forget the other one. And it was just three tiers of teams, and you were in one of those tiers. And it was almost like a D1, D2 model. Right. And you just played amongst those, and that was kind of your conference. And then we would, outside of that, have a county tournament and then a state tournament. So you would be in your division, and you're, we were in the Gibbs division. So then you would play those teams in your conference games, and then you'd have a county tournament. So Maybe you had a layup where you might beat the team 25 to 2. Maybe you were in that upper division where you would play the, the lower division team, air quotes, but they'd beat you by 10, but they were just in a different division. And these were just historical divisions, um, at least when I was in school. Now, I know my high school's dropped down to a different division, and I think they've aligned it more towards other sports. But back then, lacrosse, had a, even in New Jersey, had its own. We didn't have group one, group two. We had a Gibbs division. It, w- it was named after a coach, Coach Gibbs, was it Coach just Risk. A, was, it just, was it just geographic? Or was mm, 
No, because we would play Mountain Lakes. We'd play Dalbarton. We'd play Ridgewood. That was all the way up in Bergen County. We would play Columbia, Hunter and Central. That was down south. It was kind of spread out. And then the town next to us, Booton High School, was in one of the other tiers. Gotcha. We shared. I mean, you could walk there. Right. Like, and we weren't anywhere near the same division. We might have scrimmaged them once every other year, but we would never play in the regular season. Yeah. yeah. Spread like I, said, out. I, I, I love it because it, it, it kind of defies this, this portrayal of back east mm-hmm. that it's just this thorough, consistent, it's, it's the same everywhere. It's, and back then you right? would have up-and-coming programs. I remember my junior and senior year, we would play Sparta. And Sparta was way west. Like West Jersey, even though it's north, is not North Jersey. It's you cross that midline of the state and you are looking at city and country it's totally different sparta super country area back then it's grown a lot now started getting this really good lacrosse team they were always a football powerhouse and they got this lacrosse team and we went up there and played them and we just completely and again this is 2000 2001 there's no film i've never watched myself play lacrosse we didn't film lacrosse games then so i had no idea who this team was (laughs) we just showed up oh they're similar to drip a bunch of hicks with sticks out in the country show up out there and they were good i think we won the game by one but we got reamed afterwards like because we just didn't take the game seriously because we just thought they were this new startup program out west right how did and this is probably an unfair question right because i'm but the that program do you remember how they started who were those athletes were those guys football players were they kids that had played lacrosse somewhere else who were those kids i don't i couldn't tell you i I got. I, I was told what time practice was. I got on the bus. I played the games. I do. We're this is like coaching minds back yeah, yeah, then. Yeah. It was. It was yeah. I was just curious yeah. if you knew because I'd love to hear. Oh yeah, they, I, were, they were football kids, right? And then it's like there's more similarities to what's yeah, going on here, right? I, I don't. Um, I, it was football kids for sure. I remember that was part of it, um, and a lot of those expanding programs. I mean, it's it's exploded there. I don't. And again, I don't know too much about it. I've been here ten years now, so I haven't really touched base yeah, yeah, yeah. much on it. Um, but it's not to kind of circle back. It is not, was not then entrenched in every community. Um, there's a lot like it is here. I mean, now there's a lot more there now. There's hundreds of teams now, but I think there might have been 60 programs in the state of New Jersey when I graduated high school. Wow. And there's something like almost 300 now. Yeah, yeah. That just defies, again, every notion we have mm-hmm. about. You know, states back east and, and what their relationship with the sport is, right? That's awesome. So go back to your, I mean, your experience. It sounds so, did you, I apologize. Did you start in eighth grade or you started once you got into high school? No, I started once I got into high school. Um, and it, it's such a different model there than it is here. The whole multi-sport. In the east coast in New Jersey, we don't have a class period for athletics where you have your football practice during the class period. It was, we went to school from seven to two. You went to practice at 2.30, you were home by 5 eating dinner, and you had practice. And you played football, and then football season ended. Whatever, whenever football ended, Monday started basketball season. Played basketball. And this was, in the, this was public school, right? Public school. And then Monday after basketball ended is when lacrosse started. And everyone played the same sports. We had more kids on the lacrosse team than we had on the football team. It's like 60 or so kids on the lacrosse team and 50 on the football team. And it just... Everyone played the same sport, and there was just some kids who didn't play football that played lacrosse, and it was all the same kids playing every sport. Right. Um, so freshman year, I was played football, basketball season that just started, and the lacrosse coach cornered me. I'll never forget it. It was in the hallway right outside the library. I'd never. He's a big – Coach Gallucci is a monster. This dude, like, 
big jack guy. He was like the scary guy then. I didn't. I never spoke to him, right? <laughs> and he's like, hey, come here. Let me talk to you. I'm like, oh, crap. I'm in trouble. And you're going to play lacrosse. I'm like, yes, sir, I am. And went out. And, of, of course, the first thing they did, got a deep hole. And came out freshman year. Um, never, didn't even know how to throw it. I was literally trying to throw with a deep hole, not like cross body, but keep it on the same side as my body and trying to throw like this for the first like week until somebody finally said, throw it across. Didn't have a helmet. They found an old Bacharach helmet in storage that I wore until we needed to order more Cascades and they didn't have enough because we had more freshmen than we thought. <laughs> so we were waiting on the order to come in. So I wore this big bucket helmet and went out and started figuring it out. Um, our, our goalie, freshman goalie, bumped up to varsity pretty early on. He was a, a stud goalie. So our, one of our defensemen said, I'll be the goalie. So then I got thrown in and had no clue what I was doing. Like, not a clue. Um, no clue whatsoever. So, so no clue what you were doing, right? But did the coaches have a clue? Right? I mean, did you? Yeah. Did, so, did, so at your school, did you have like this, this pardon my French, but this shit-hot goalie coach who's like, Bill, here we go. I'm going to teach you the the intricacies of being a goalie. Oh, no, I wasn't the goalie. Oh, okay. The, the, the defenseman, the defenseman gotcha, jumped gotcha. in the goal, and I jumped in his starting defenseman spot. Okay, so gotcha, I'm the guy. There's no clue what yeah, I'm yeah. doing. Like I'm just in gotcha. there, can't catch and throw. Learned on the fly. Well, so the same the it same was, question still applies, and and the reason I ask, right, is because the, you know, the right now in in Texas, right, everyone thinks you got to have. Some guy who no, played in college, our, played our, pro to coach. Our I mean, what, freshman coach didn't have a clue. I don't remember his name. Don't remember what he looked like. He was just out there with a whistle. Um, I I don't remember. I don't know. Like so maybe, you were you were just learning a learning by doing and, and learning B, by learning doing. by your te- from your teammates. I learning suspect. by doing, learning from my teammates. Um, but I fell in love with it. It was so much fun, even though I was so bad at it. I was so bad at it. Um, <laughs> so bad at it. And we just learned. We so we had an amazing summer league. Um, that was, we ran, my school ran, my coach ran, because Coach Gallucci was there. He, like, started the program in the 60s, and my junior year was his last year. He stepped down uh, to become a principal. Um, so he had been the coach there for 40 years. He'd been there forever, 30, 40 years. And um, so we had this summer league where every team in the county had a team there. We had two, because we were, it was in our town, so there was no excuse not to. No coaches. The seniors that just graduated were the coaches, and they would run the box and just hang out on the sideline. And you'd play Tuesday and Thursdays, and we had a six-field complex, two game times, and you would just go play. So that summer was when I learned how to play lacrosse. So when you say just go play, you rolled up with your equipment, y'all pick sticks out of a pile. No, 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 no. Or or, or you you, you played? It was organized. It was organized. It was organized. There were... Uh, man, maybe 12, 14 teams, 10 on 10, refs, everything. Oh, okay. But just no right. coaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they organized awesome. it. It was safe. <laughs> we just, we subbed ourselves. And maybe an assistant coach who might have been off that night because, you know, teachers in the summer are working at Fridays or Applebee's or whatever, and they might pop in for an hour. But none of our coaches were almost ever there. And... Yeah. What was the in those games where there were no coaches presence, but there it was organized and there were officials? What was the role of the officials in those game? In those games, were they literally just calling the game, or did you get coaching from them? Were they trying to show you pointers? A little bit of both, mostly just calling the game. But I know I was so bad at the game that I got some pointers thrown my way. Um, <laughs> just some little stuff. Some sympathy coaching. Yeah, <laughs> but it was more because like I just 
I was still in the mindset that it was just go out and hit dudes. And this is summer ball, kind of learning. So there was a lot of like, hey, guy, you can't do that. Why don't you do this instead? I was like, oh, fantastic. Um, but it was fun because, again, I, I was very poor skill-wise. I'm, I'm four months into this. Right. And I get to go out on the field and run a, some attack, run midfield, run long stick. That's how I learned that facing off was such a key piece. That, that summer, I, I knew, and I went up to my coach before the summer, I said, listen, I, I want to be good at this. I do. But this isn't – because with a pole, I was getting penalties – more than I would like to admit. And I'm like, what can I do to be a piece of this? Because the skills aren't there. What can I do? He goes, well, this is before we had Fogos. It's like, we need a face-off guy. Go learn how to face-off. Okay. So I took almost every face-off that summer, just figured it out. There was no YouTube. And there was no, the strategy was different. There wasn't the equipment and pinch and pop. And right. it was just be the bigger, batter dude, be faster than the guy in front of you and pick up the ball. So I went out and bought an Edge Plus, the strongest, sturdiest head you could buy. So this was your sophomore year? This was the summer before sophomore okay. year. Okay, all right. And just, just learned what worked and what didn't and learned to face off and then spent the next three years as a face-off guy and I played man down and loved it. And just so, all I cared off? about was ground ball. Face-off? Face-off. And man down. And man down. All right. <laughs> all I wanted to do was pick up ground balls. It was, it was like heroin. Like, ground ball, I kept my ground ball stats in my head all game. It's all I cared about because I knew I was going to be the best at that because I was never going to be a good shooter. I was never going to be a skilled offensive player. It was it just didn't, didn't care. I wanted to pick up the ball and get it to the offense and run off the field. That uh, be the best at ground balls, that's something we're going to come back to when we start talking about your coaching in a, bit, in a little bit. I like that quote. So... How did your team do at, from that, you know, that beginning of your sophomore year, sophomore, junior, and senior year from a team perspective? We were good. Um, almost always a 500 team, a little bit over. Um, made the county playoffs and the state playoffs every year. We, um, again, we were in the, the highest, toughest division in the state. We played teams that were two or three of them every year were ranked in the top ten in the country. So we always lost those games. I mean, I went 0-9 against Mountain Lakes, 0-9 against Del Barton every year. We just we never beat them. Played them close-ish, you know, lose, I don't know, 9-5, 10-4, 7-4, 7-3. Never beat them once. But it never discouraged us. We just knew that that's who we had to play. That was our division. Right. And then we'd go play other teams that were not as good, and we'd win. And we'd probably go a little, you know, win every two out of three games outside of that, go to the state playoffs, make it a round or two deep, and come back and do it again the next year. And, and you know, it was the same idea. It seems here, like – Team, there's just always going to be dominant teams. And we saw that and had to do that. And it was just a case of living next door right. to the best team in the state. And that's it. And then we had Del Barton, huge private school, recruited like crazy. Every good eighth grader from all the high schools went there. And they went to school there, and you would go and play against kids that you went to middle school with. It was just part of the game. Yeah, yeah. So you said that there was a coaching change? Yeah, junior year. Um, after my junior year, the uh, our coach, Coach Coach Gallucci, took the principal job at the middle school. He couldn't coach and and be a principal, so so he um, he stepped down that year. And uh, Coach Whitty stepped in. It was our goalie's dad. He uh, had been an assistant at uh, uh, one of the other high schools in the area, and it was a one-year fill-in for our senior class, because we had a really tight, good senior class. His kid was the goalie, so we needed somebody on short notice. Right. Um, and he stepped in and did an awesome job for us. What was the, 
Was there an impact from a from a coaching perspective? Did he did he do things a lot differently, differently, better, a lot worse? differently? Yeah, okay. a lot differently. Um, he was a lot more mild mannered. He was a lot more um, intellectual on the game, which went way over my head at the time. Um, you know, Coach Gallucci was a lot more old school. He kind of rolled with that iron fist, and a lot of the guys were were afraid of him. I had an amazing relationship with him. I still talk to him to this day. Um, he's he's great, um, but a lot of guys couldn't handle it. It was tough. It was tough. I mean, we knew if we had a bad practice, he would rip his shirt off and put your sticks down. You're not going to need them for the rest of the day, and we'd go to the hill. Or that's literally, it. He would literally rip his shirt, shirt he off. He would literally rip his shirt off. <laughs> this dude was massive. Just, I mean, massive. A terrifying individual. But the nicest guy in the world. I mean... He used to go in middle in uh, in high school. We had a weight room for PE, and he would just we'd walk in, and he'd be sitting there repping out like <laughs> three and a quarter on the bench when we walked into the gym. I'm convinced he did it on purpose. As we walked in, he'd be like, "Oh, didn't know you guys were here," and like puts it up, like just massive human. But there was days where we we literally would come out. We'd be three quarters of the way through practice, and it wasn't going well. We're dropping the ball. We're just not focused. And he would he would turn around and say, "Okay, practice starts over. Go stretch." We'd start practice over. Or it would be like, don't even bring your sticks out tomorrow. You won't need them. And we'd run. The, you mentioned, was it Coach Witte? Yes. The, 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 the coach who came in your senior year. You said he was intellectual and over your head. Yes. Yes. Is there value in that now for you? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm like, you know, it's funny. I have the perception that I'm just like the meathead football guy because I'm a big dude. Um, but like, I'm a... I'm just like a sponge when it comes to picking up. Like, I just love learning it. And I don't learn at the fastest rate. But to me, like, I, God, if I just could have harnessed that then and understood it then, that, that goes for life, college, anything. But, yeah, the value of that, like, I, I, I look at – I think I pull a little bit from both of them, a little bit from both of them. And there's, there's, there's huge value in it. Um, and and I, I wish I took more advantage of it over the course of that year. But – like you said, it was you didn't you didn't even know, right? No, I didn't know. Like again, I, I wanted to face off and pick the ball up off the ground. That's that's what I wanted to do. I didn't care what the offense looked like or what the defense looked like. So after high school, what did, did, did tell me about lacrosse after high school? What did you do? I didn't. Um, I graduated. I actually um, went to Springfield College my my freshman year. That's um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So. Platt. Yeah. He, was he so, there? No, no. And I, and I learned that listening to his, his podcast. His senior year would have been my senior year in high school. So okay. right. he, was, he was, I think he was still up there. Yeah, yeah. But my freshman year, he wasn't, he wasn't there. So I played football there. Uh, I went up there and played football and ended up breaking my foot. Um, I split my big toe in half and I had to have surgery. So I missed the most of the year. And then Got really good grades and ended up transferring to the College of New Jersey um, in Trenton, which is the, the number one school I wanted to go to um, out, of, uh, out of high school. Um, it just didn't work out because my grades weren't that good in high school. So I transferred there and played football for another year there. Had a great year doing that. Went through another offseason, made it through the summer. It was three days before the camp my, my junior year. I woke up one day, I walked downstairs, and I looked at my mother, and I said, I don't think I want to do it anymore. And I drove down, tried to find the coaches, couldn't find them, 
because this didn't have cell phones. And uh, we did, but it wasn't like having a, you couldn't text, you know, didn't, couldn't get a hold of them. I like, wrote a letter and said, Coach, I'm not going to report to camp. I left it on his desk. And then went and found him when I went back a couple days later and saw him and just didn't, didn't want to play football anymore. Um, and it was that, that year after not playing, went to school, and I, I was just looking for a job, and I was kind of flipping through the newspaper. And when you would look for jobs in the newspaper, and I saw, love all these newspaper references on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, the news. Yeah, you have the newspaper. Um, and I saw that there was a a job open for a middle school lacrosse coach. It was paying like twenty eight hundred dollars. No college students. So this is like. So this is in New Jersey, in right? New Jersey, okay. down in Trenton. It's at Princeton Day School, a mile away from Princeton University. And I went in and I interviewed for it, and he's like, "You got the job." So during undergrad, I started coaching middle school across at a crazy expensive private school. I had no clue what I was doing. So you're in college. I'm in college. So how old were you? 20, 20, 21. So what were the twenty-one? Cha- what were the challenges? Right. So we mm. I talk about that with a lot of people. The biggest challenge is when you're that young and then going back to like the team you played for. Yeah. And trying to coach, right? Yeah. But there's still challenges being that young and trying to coach. It was responsibility for sure. Is that what it was responsibility right? because because you know I was 21 years old and I was in college, and these are middle school kids. So there wasn't a challenge in dealing with the kids. It was more of an internal challenge of like making sure that I was going to get there on time because I would have had to leave school, drive 15, 20 minutes to get there. And I was shockingly very risky. There was two or three times where I would be late. Um, and it was mainly because we didn't have class on Wednesdays at my school. We had a Monday, Thursday, Tuesday, Friday schedule. Wednesday was an off day and you had a night classes. So it was only an hour from home. So I'd go home sometimes on Tuesday night and then I'd mess that up and we'd have practice Wednesday and I would be driving back and hit traffic or something. So but I was, I was, I shocked myself at how well I did of actually showing up. But it was, it was a struggle. I had to like really make sure that I got there on time, because it, and it was, I didn't want to let the kids down. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about the coach. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to let these like these kids down, like because I didn't want to lose credibility. And I felt like I needed to push a little further because I was <laughs> so young and I was the youngest guy out there. And it was also just really fun being there. So. You're a teacher by training, yes? Yes. So, I mean, which came which, which came first, or how do they relate, right? The, it's a common theme, whether it's Donnelly or Platt, right? The, the, the teaching training and the coaching bug, or the coaching bug yeah. and the teaching training, right? So I got into teaching late. I didn't, I didn't start teaching until I moved to Texas. Um, I went to undergrad, and I was going to be a physical therapist. But the problem was to be a physical therapist, one, you had to have really good grades to get into PT school, which I didn't. And two, I didn't know that I didn't like it until I did my internship my senior year. And it was okay, but I Your realized... senior year at college? college. So when you were coaching here at the middle school, at Prin- was it Princeton Prin- Day School? Princeton Day School. You were still on that physical therapy yes. track. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So so I, 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 I went all the way to my senior year, I did my internship in PT... And didn't like it because I realized how big of a business it was. And it and I had this this romanticized thing in my head that I'm gonna be one-on-one with an athlete and I'm gonna get them through their therapy. And it's just gonna be me and them working on that ACL. In retrospect, when I go back and look at my internship, it was three doctors, 12 patients, get them in, get them out, charge their insurance. Right. And I was like, whoa, this is not, this is business. 
I was too young to figure it out, I guess. So I was like, you know what? If I'm going to be in business, I'm going to be in business. And I went to Manhattan and did advertising sales. George, I am apologize. I'm going to back up. So how long were you at Princeton Day School? I was there two full seasons. Okay. I was there two full seasons. So that got you, what, your junior year in college maybe? Uh, my second junior year and senior year, yeah. Okay. All right. And then once you got done there at Princeton Day School, what, what happened from a lacrosse perspective? So I took more time off um, because I was working in Manhattan doing the, the 8 to 6 advertising job, which meant you were there at 7.30 and you were leaving at 7. And I was living at my parents' house in North Jersey and taking the, the bus in. So I'd have to drive to the bus station, get on the bus, take that into Manhattan, go down, go four stories down, get on a subway, get across town. It was an hour and 45 minutes each way. What, what years were this, was this? This was 2007, 2008. It was right around the crash okay. because that's how that ended. So we were killing it. We were, I mean, I was in my first four months on the job, I had closed a quarter million dollar deal on the Ellis Island tours and then another six figure deal like right away. And I was doing great. And then it was like, oh man, this wearing a suit, Manhattan fast life is amazing. You, you realize how difficult that is for me to Oh, I'm the picture, right? I know. I know. I don't think I've worn a tie since. Every day, suit, white shirt. You couldn't, you, all you could wear is a white shirt. Couldn't wear any colored shirt. It was white shirt, super, everything out of the company line. But, you know, they expensed really nice dinners. And yeah. you're in Manhattan and everything was on the house. It was great. Um, walk into a, and again, I didn't even, even with that, I still didn't know what I was doing. I was just good at talking to people. And I would get them. We had a great product. We had every every bus and train advertisement in the city of New York, and like 12 other markets, but it was easy to sell. Everyone wanted to be visible in New York City. And then we walked into a meeting, and this is way before I even like considered watching the news. I was still too young to even care. The crash, Bear Stearns blows up, and everything's happening, and, and it was like panic. And I'm sitting there. Barely made it to this meeting, still kind of hung over from the weekend, eating a bagel, looking around and all these executives. And, you know, these are these are people on a big boy job and they're freaking out. I'm like, yo, what's everyone's problem? I don't understand. Like, pass me that orange juice. Like, I, no clue. No clue. So then, like, I, and I, I ended up, it was like a mess there. And then they asked me to transfer back to the Jersey office, which was awesome because it was a 10 minute drive. And I was like, oh, this is great. Little that I know, it's like really hard to sell Manhattan advertising when you're in Jersey. And then we have the Jersey buses too. Nobody cares about being on the Jersey buses. Nobody wants to see a bus going up and down Route 46. They want the Manhattan bus going down Times Square. Um, and then they just started shedding bodies and layoffs, layoffs, layoffs. And then I got laid off, um, took a job um, right away because this guy kept trying to poach me. I was trying to sell him advertising. And every time I would try to sell him advertising, he would try to get me to quit and work for him. He was selling payroll. And I got laid off on a Thursday, started pay selling payroll on Monday. And I realized I hated it. it so still, bad. just for me, there's still no lacrosse. A little bit. Right? My brother at this time was a freshman in high school. My brother was a freshman in high school, my youngest brother. So uh, I would actually go, I started by just watching his games on Saturdays. Um, they would always have like the first game, like a 10 a.m. game with the freshman team. So I would go watch. And then I'd be in the stands and I'd be like, they're not doing this right. They're not doing this right. They're not doing this right. 
Um, and finally, my mother was like, why don't you just go over on the sideline? And because and, and, it was Coach Jules, he was one of my coaches. He was coaching the freshman team. So why don't you go talk to him and see if you can help him a little bit? I don't want to do that. And then it just got enough where I was like, I'm going over there. And then I ended up assisting him every Saturday for the rest of the year. So probably five or six weekends. Um, they were bad. They lost every single game, but we won our last game. And we won, like, right at the buzzer, won the game, and it was awesome. And those kids were, like, it, it was amazing. But like, you hear that so many times where coaches start off like that, just, like, proximity to the game, mm -hmm. right? And just stepping in where they see a need or see an opportunity, right, to volunteer to do face-offs or I'll, yeah. I'll help you with this or yeah, I'll, and that's, I'll help you that. That's right? what it was. My brother was facing off mainly because I faced off. So he was doing it and he, they're like, oh, you can go face off. He had no idea what he was doing. So I went over there. The reason I went over there was really to help him on the face-offs. Um, and then it turned into this and that. And I learned a lot at Princeton. Um, coach Lewandowski was the AD, but he was also the coach that was running. So he was like, I guess the way we structured it. And again, private schools, right? They, the way they structure everything. For, it was, he was the head eighth grade coach. I was the head seventh grade coach, but he was the head coach and I was the assistant coach gotcha. for everybody. Right. So I, I would learn from him, but then I would, I would hang out after and, and just watch some of the varsity practice. And I thought these kids were the, I mean, I was watching them like, holy crap, these kids are so good. This is amazingly run. And just being in college and being like, man, this is, this is awesome. This is awesome. And then I would leave and go back and go out and go out for the night and forget about it until the next day. And then, but when I was there, I was all in. There was no, at this time, there was no planning. There was no thinking about it outside of the field. It was when I was there, I was in. Right. Otherwise, I was doing college kid stuff. Um, but, yeah, I just started jumping in on Saturdays because I just, why not? You know, it was why not? And I was so used to getting up at 5 a.m. for work during the week. There was no sleeping in, so it wasn't like I was sleeping in and missing the game. Um, I remember winning that last game, and it was awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, from there, from there, it was just about... Time to move here. Um, I did the payroll thing for a while. I was going to say, if you've been here about 10 years, right? It sounds like we're... we're it'll, be my, it'll be our 10-year anniversary living here on January 5th. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's coming up. It's coming up. So how did you land here? So I got laid off from the advertising job. And I really hated my payroll sales job. Hated it. And back when I was at Springfield, because everything there is education, 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 right. I took a business class. And you could get a 10-point buffer, extra credit buffer on your grade your final grade if you did this volunteer teaching thing at an inner city school teaching them about business so it was like oh it's great I had a car on campus so getting there was no problem um and i would go once a week for 30 minutes and do a lesson on te uh, teach a lesson on business like to elementary school kids like basically the most the most basic stuff in the world and they would give you the curriculum you just had to go and do it and i was like well if i can go there and do this, I can really get an 80 and get a 90, so this is a great deal. So I did it, and just enjoyed connecting with the children. Um, that was the first time I ever really enjoyed teaching. And I had to really think about um, what I wanted to do at that point, because the payroll job was terrible. And I just started looking at it, and I really loved coaching. I've always been a, like, I've always loved sports, any sport. When I was a kid, I watched a lot of hockey, baseball, basketball, football, it didn't matter. So I was like, I'm going to go back to school and be a PE teacher. So now I'm... About 27 or so. And um, so I, I applied at my school, at the College of New Jersey, um, very high end public school in the Northeast. Uh, barely, you know, I, I had like a 2.3 GPA in undergrad, just didn't care. It got to the point where I was like, you know, it's, it's a very Jersey thing to think. It's not what you know, it's who you know. I'm right. working Manhattan. And right. so 
when I went back to go to grad school, they like laughed at me. So my degree and the PE degree is almost exactly the same minus student teaching versus internship and two classes that wouldn't transfer towards something else. So I went and talked to the advisor down there and he said, look, he's like, we're going to start a 13 month PE master's program. Um, if you go take these two classes, you got to get an A in them. If you get to these classes, like I think he had me in class. He was my anatomy teacher, loved anatomy, got an A in his class. He knew I was a good student, just like failed photography because I didn't realize that I had to buy all the stuff. And by November I was out of money and couldn't buy the stuff. So failed the class, like <laughs> dumb, dumb decisions like that. Um, so he um, was like, pass these two classes, I'll get you into the program. Great. Went, I would, and the best part is Monday, Thursday, Tuesday, Friday classes, they weren't on the same day. I was driving to Trenton four days a week. Went, now I had to take out a personal loan for these classes because I don't, can't get a student loan because I'm not matriculated into a program. Right. So I take out a personal loan to take these classes. So now what I learned was when school was on my dime, it's different, man. It's totally different. <laughs> so, boom, AA. Done. <laughs> Letter comes in the mail. I'm all excited. We regret to inform you that you have not been accepted to this program. Turns out they didn't have enough funding for it. They didn't fully open it up, and they only allowed two students in as a trial run for that year. So now I'm just like, and before that, the, it was a whole thing, too, because the, the head of the department, who was my old defensive line coach, probably one of the reasons I didn't, keep playing football because he was just a brutal guy to play for. Um, just sucked a lot of the fun out of it. Um, was actually still holding a grudge against that and was all through college was still kind of rude about it. Um, and um, he said, listen, with those grades and what he did, it's not going to happen. You will never be a teacher. I hate to tell you that. It's time to find another path and give up on this. So I, I walked out of that meeting, I got in the car, started driving back up north. I said, come hell or high water, I will have a teaching degree. And it was on, and I was looking everywhere. So my wife, we were dating at the time, we had just moved in together, her family's from Texas. Um, she has family in Corpus Christi in San Antonio. She had always said like, oh, I would love to move to Texas, I would love to move to Texas. And I was like, well, maybe we can do that for a bit. And you know, we were gonna come here, she wanted to come visit. And I wanted to, I've always wanted to go to Austin. Um, so I started looking at schools. I was looking, and I'm like, oh, Texas State University, what is this? I've never even heard of it. I'm like, oh, they have a great master's in phys ed. Started looking at it and, and looked, and the requirements weren't quite as stringent as some of the East Coast schools. I applied to every, I applied for a master's degree in every state, every school in New Jersey, some in New York. I got like seven, I got denied from like seven schools, and I'm still knocking on the door. <laughs> um, wound up applying, came down, for the visit, to see the campus, visit family, hang out in Austin, had my interview, my interview for acceptance. And uh, the night before, we had just landed, we were staying in her aunt's house, and I get an email, congratulations, you've been accepted as a non-matriculating graduate student. So is this, like, 2010? 2009, it was, it was Halloween 2009, because, <laughs> what a way to sell you out in the city, my first time ever coming to Austin, first night in Austin, was Halloween night on 6th Street. So I was like, this place is insane. We're moving here. Let's go. Um, went in, went to the interview the next day anyway, because it was scheduled. I'm like, I got this email. She's like, why are you here? I'm like, because I don't know what this means. What is a non-matriculating graduate student? Like, basically, you're on probationary. You may or may not get into the program. You got to prove yourself. 
So we moved here on a whim. Really? We moved here on a whim. That was. So did you have when you did that? I mean, was there family here to support that, or was it just kind no, of? We're moving to Austin, um, man. They were in San. She had family in San Antonio, in Corpus. Her, her um, aunt had just bought a house in Cibolo. They weren't even there yet, so we had somewhere to stay when we first got here. Um, but that was Halloween. We went home a couple days later, made the decision we're going to do this because she was having trouble too. She had just graduated nursing school and couldn't even get an interview because not only was the financial industry crashing, hospitals were closing left and right. Massive hospitals in New York City were just shutting down. So you had experienced nurses with right. 20 years experience, no job. No They're not around. hiring new hires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she couldn't get a job. I hated what I was doing. Um, so we went home. We stayed in our apartment. Luckily, we were in an apartment that her friend's father owned the building. So he let us out, like, no problem. Um, so we moved back in with our parents for December to save a little bit of money. Um, at this time, I, I um, was no longer working at the payroll company. We were trying to get the move, and I was working at TGI Fridays, crushing it. The Fridays I worked at right outside of Manhattan by Giant Stadium it was, like, the busiest Fridays. And I was making, like, four or 500 bucks a night waiting tables there. It was stupid because with Christmas, we're getting big Christmas parties. We banked up all the money we could. We got a pod, shipped it to Texas, filled up both of our cars, and right after New Year's, we hopped in the cars and just drove across the country. That's awesome. Just drove across the country. To when, when you landed here, and I'm, 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 my dates are way off, I know they are. I'm trying to remember when Brand landed at Southwest Texas. It was a year or two after me, I think. Okay. And... But you didn't, when you came to Southwest Texas, you weren't playing any of the cross no, at all. No, I was, no, I came there, I was going to school at night. I got a job. Did I start in the spring? Yeah. Yeah, right away. I, I No, it might have been that next fall. I was at Odyssey School. It's a private, small private school in Austin, um, and they needed a PE teacher. And private school doesn't need to be a certified teacher, so I started teaching right away. Right away. I think it was, it was that fall. It was that fall. So in the spring, we were we lived in Cibolo for a month until we got we found an apartment in Austin and had to wait until it was we were there for a couple of weeks. Right. So I transferred from a T to a TGI Fridays here and learned that servers in North San Antonio don't make as much as the ones in North Jersey. Um, <laughs> so my wife got a nursing job right away down here. Was working at Fridays, went up to um, to Austin, got an apartment. And it was, was just watching an NFL playoff game, and I was like, coming here, and, and, and it was stressful for me because I, I really was into coaching lacrosse at this point. I wanted to keep doing it and being involved in the game, but I didn't think there was lacrosse in Texas at all. So when you landed here, you didn't I didn't think there was anything. I Texas had this lacrosse. vision in my head that I was going to start this lacrosse program that was going to start with three or four kids in the neighborhood I was in with a couple sticks, and we'd play catch, and maybe we could grow it into something where it was like a three-on-three. Three. So... Um, we're here, and then I asked a buddy about like how about something. He's like, just check lax power. I'm like, what's lax power? Just didn't even know it was a thing. And I went on, and there were jobs available, like actual like. There's a team here. Come coach for us. Jobs in Texas. In Texas. So I called, and and it was John Maggio over at Lake Travis, and he's like, well, uh, we're full. We don't have any spots. We actually just hired somebody uh, for the team we needed. You know, here's a couple other people. Maybe give them a call. 
so I did and like didn't even get a return phone call on it. It was just because you know how lacrosse people can be. They yes. may pick up their phone, they may not pick up their phone. <laughs> um, and then it was the day before the Super Bowl. And John called me and he goes, hey, did you ever find a coaching spot? I was like, no. He's like, we start tomorrow and we just got an influx of registrants. We have this extra fifth grade team we need a coach for. I was like, I'm in. So it's Super Bowl Sunday. We're still living in, in Cibolo at this point. Uh, we're moving that week. So I like drive up for the tryout, go help with the tryout all day, drive home, miss the first half of the Super Bowl. And started coaching at Lake Travis. So that Lake was Travis your, youth. your first Texas coaching gig. First Texas coaching gig. Who are the who are some of the other coaches who were there? Who who we may somebody may know. Because so, uh, I know some of those coaches are still bumping around. So right? who was there? Galvin was the he was not the head coach yet. He was a one of the one of the assistants. I know John Maggio is still the J V coach with Lake Travis. Uh, Ruben Garcia, his oldest, who's now in played against them this weekend at UT. He's a goalie for their high school team, was a kindergartner. Um, he wasn't the kindergartner. He might have been first, second grade. He was the older one, but his kids were all young. Uh, man, who else was there? John was coaching the eighth grade. I was coaching fifth grade. A bunch of young guys who I don't think really coach anymore. Mike okay. Allen's the only uh, one I can think of who's still kind of yeah. around. So how did I – mean, that was, after that first season – Coaching that fifth grade team. First off, how did your team do? Amazing. Oh, all right. Amazing. It was like <laughs> it was just like the leftover kids, and a lot of kids never played before, and we just figured it out, and cool. we're beating teams, and it was amazing. And that team had, like, if you go back to two or three years ago when they were dominant, um, it was all those kids. Was that, oh, really? It was their first year playing. They started in first in fifth, in fifth grade, and it was awesome. And I got to coach those guys all the way through. Yeah, so, so I just did you follow them yeah. up? So how yeah. how long were you at Lake Travis? Three years, and then going into so fi- they were all fifth graders. So fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. That fall, um, was that a no? Was that it? Was that spring? It was that sp- the end of that spring? It was like during the eighth grade playoffs or whatever. Um, Dave Emmer came up to me and we were talking. And we're just chatting, watching the game, and he's like, "What are you still doing, coaching youth lacrosse?" It's like, "I don't know. I like it. And it's a lot of fun." And I was because at that point I was their coaching director and kind of running the whole thing, first through eighth grade and organizing everything. And it was awesome. Like, it was great. It was getting paid well. It was fantastic. He's like, "There are there's such a need for high school coaches here. Like, you need to expand your horizons." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "Listen." He's like, "I'm pretty sure the Vista Ridge job is opening up," and you know, they, they're dying for somebody. Would you be interested? I was like, Dave, I could drive a golf ball off of my front yard and land it on the top of that school. I literally live – we had just built a house in Cedar Park. Like, I live across the street. He's like, well, let me make a phone call for you. Okay, great. Next thing you know, I'm coming on, and I'm getting hired as the Vista Ridge coach. Um, what year was this? 13? Yeah, 2013. Um, so what I was – so, and I, and I was still at Lake Travis at the time. I did both that fall. Still ran the youth program, still coached oh, that, really? and ran fall ball for, for uh, Vista. Because I started it, didn't want to give up on it, and if I had the time, I would have finished that with that eighth grade group. That, that was a very hard decision for me. I'd been with these kids three and a half years, and now I'm, you know, taking another job. Um, and and um, so I finished out the fall. I finished out the fall with them and went to Vista, and what I was, what I was promised wasn't what I got. 
Um, it was told they had numbers and they had 20 something kids and we were going to have this access and this and that. And I learned real quick what a lot of Texas high school coaches have, which was nine kids on my first day. We actually had 11 signed up and nine showed up in the first day. We had a goalie. That was good. It was a goalie. A foundation. Yeah, it was a goalie. <laughs> um, let, let me and, guess. No lights. Oh no. No fields. We're on a nicer right? we are on a nicer patch of grass right here behind the garbage dumpster next to the concession stand <laughs> than we got at Vista Ridge High School. Um, and nine times out of ten the gate was locked. Even though we had the field the gate was locked. So we started with like nine kids that fall. Got it, it was it was eleven, fifteen. By the end of that year, there was there hadn't been there hadn't been much of a youth program at all. By the end of that spring, we had twenty seven kids that had been through the program. They didn't all stick. Um, but we were up, our peak was 27 kids in the high school program, and we had a 5th and 6th and a 7th and 8th grade team. Oh, wow. Um, I got there with the schedule already done. So we were, this is back years ago. So this is when Vandegrift and Round Rock were D2 stools in Austin killing teams. I had a week where I played Vandegrift on Wednesday and Round Rock, or Round Rock on Wednesday and Vandegrift on Thursday. Lost both games by 20-some. <laughs> and there were days where we would have 12 kids show up, and we played a varsity and a JV game with 12 kids. And just back to back, and just the whole season, and it was—I kind of call it—I I, I call it my purgatory year now because it was just like a baptism by fire. I was nervous to be a high school coach. I'd never done it. High school kids are intimidating. Yeah, but that, that's—I mean, I keep as I do these, these talks, I always find consistent themes, right? And that that baptism by fire that you just described, yeah. man, that's a consistent theme. It is, right? Guys getting thrown into the deep end of the pool, yep. Yep. right? And you just you make it work, right? Right. Well, I do it with my assistants now. <laughs> Just throw them into the I do it with the kids, too. Yeah, it's the best way to learn. It really is. But that year, I mean, it was, it was so enjoyable. And, and it was me, Artie Chavez, a man I'll never forget. Uh, he passed away that year, actually, after the season. Uh, after, that, after that summer, got sick, had cancer, passed away. Um, amazing man. Didn't know anything about lacrosse besides the fact that his kid played and he learned a little bit. He did everything we needed. I mean, it was unbelievable. And me, Artie, and then a kid who I graduated the year before who was going to ACC. It was the three of us, ran varsity, JV, 7th grade, 8th grade, and 5th and 6th grade. Holy cow. And there was nice. We played all on the same day. And we paid like $1,000 a day for the field and for the, for the game field. And we were running in the red. I don't even think I got paid everything for that year because there wasn't any money left because we would, I would go get kids to come out and play. But... The whole collecting of the money didn't always happen. Yeah, yeah. But we weren't turning them away because right. we didn't have bodies. So it was, it was good. And I was really committed to, to doing that. And I actually um, I got talked into interviewing at Cedar Ridge in the offseason for an assistant job um, to be their offensive coordinator. That was when uh, LaBelle was there. And they were before they went up to D1 when they were really good. They had a big senior class. And it was more money than I was getting at Vista and an opportunity to compete for a state championship. And I turned it down. Um, and I was really, really wanted to grow something from the ground up. I really did. So how, and that's a, that's a, that's a struggle. And I've dealt with it, dealt with it recently. When you, the struggle between wanting to build something from the ground up, and sometimes that isn't always what's best for quote, your coaching career. Right. Right. Why didn't, how, how do you. Do you so the question well, is right? Do, do you care right? No, no. <laughs> no. And how do you balance the two? Right? No, yeah, I don't care. That's not. I've never done this as a career. Right. I've never done this as a career. Um, I just loved it. 
just loved it. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it's part of my career now. It's part of what I do. But, you know, full-time teacher, which is – we'll get into that in a minute, but that's one of the main reasons why this works so well at Drip. Yeah, and what I mean by career, right, is, is uh, uh, not – Financially, not trying to make a living off of it, not any of that. But, but for me, when I say that, right, I always tell folks I have two careers. Right? Mm. I have my professional, quote, air quotes, professional career, right. right, and my coaching career. And I tell everybody, I, 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 um, I take them both seriously, right? I, I, I groom both of them, right? I work hard at both of them, right? And that's, and sometimes, right, that, you know, that spirit of grow the game. It could be inconsistent with trying to grow your coaching career, right? Sure, in that for context, sure. right? Absolutely. It's 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 yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, when when I when I look at that, I just wanted to really grow that. And it was I lived across the street. That was important to me. So I wanted that to be successful. Uh, because I lived there. And it was it was the hometown high school and that's where I lived and looks like we have a visitor. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a brand, a drive by from Brand. Drive by <laughs> Michael Brand sighting. Um, I knew he couldn't stay away. Um, but you know, I lived across the street, so to me it was important. Um, and, and then I take the Dripping Springs job three weeks later. But So <laughs> that, the way all that happened was that summer, um, I, in its infancy, started my club team. And the only reason I did it was my kids were really bad at lacrosse. We, I took over a program that went 0-10 two years in a row, and we went 2-10 the year, that year. And it was like, was this I mean, Mr. Ridge. But the, the club team... So it's, it's, Is, it's... Was this Hill Country? It was the start of it. Okay. It was the start All of right. it. So, so, you know, there was a lot of excitement going 2-10, which is crazy, right? But, like, they hadn't won a game in two years before that. Um, we won my first game, first high school game, play McCallum at McCallum. We win the game 15-14 in the longest high school game. You, with the penalties and the goals and the stoppage and the refs explaining stuff, it was like two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> and it's my first game. And I come off the field and I look at my wife and I'm drained and I go, are they all this long? And it was wild. So we won our first game and then I think we won our last game. Um, but so I knew these guys had to play and they're, first of all, these weren't gonna be the kind of kids that were gonna play a lot of club lacrosse. But also, there wasn't really that much club lacrosse then. This is 2013. So at the right. time, there was Trilogy. There was Trilogy. And the tail end of Team Texas. So this is pre-Iron Horse. This is pre-any of the teams that popped up. I had that discussion with uh, uh, Doc Littner. And the, we talked about the Hurricanes here mm. in Houston and how they were kind of the first one of yeah. those, right? We used and to this play wasn't them. that long ago. Yep, we used right? to play them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Third Coast. Yep. yep. Third Coast. So... That summer, and I don't know how this came up. Like I, I remember being at a concert with my wife, and I ran into Tim LaBelle, and we were talking. And one of his moms was there. It was like she walked by. And we were talking with her, and she was with a group of, of Cedar Ridge. That's kind of how that interview came up. They were like, "You got to come. You got to come. You got to come." Right. Um, we we um, put together this group, and I'm like, "Well, I can get some kids because I had all my Lake Travis kids. They were like really good players, and I had a kid from Lake Travis who was going to Regents." And a couple of other people, I ended up putting together one team, and this may actually, no, this was the summer before I met you. We put together a team, we went out, we were gonna do one tournament. We did one tournament, and we got these terrible basketball jerseys made because it was the only thing we could do on short notice, and it was just ATX lacrosse. And we went to Louisiana, <laughs> one team, we did a couple practices, I needed a goalie, so I called, um, 
we had played this JV goalie from Chipping Springs. It was really good. He was a freshman. And this was like an all-freshman team. A couple of my upperclassmen from Vista Ridge, everybody else was freshmen because that's the group I had always coached. Put it together and went to Louisiana, and we went 3-1 and one in the Big Easy with all freshmen, like 14, 15 guys in that heat, and these kids were animals. Um, called uh, the one of the Dripping Springs coaches, I really want this goalie. He came, he brought a defense in with him. We had 14 kids in like eight high schools on that team. And we just did oh, one tournament. Wow. And we charged, barely made cost. Like my pay for the summer was my hotel room for Sunday night so I can go to Bourbon Street. And then we came home. Like that's literally the extent of like what we made off of that team. And that was the start of it. And then I realized that kind of snowballed. And then the year after that is when I really kind of kicked up my Jammers team. And this is pre-Iron Horse, pre-360, pre any of that stuff. I had people knocking down my door looking to play in the summer. We had two full high school teams of like 25 kids. And we went just did everything local, Houston, Dallas, New Orleans. First Jammers was that 2015? 20. It was that 2013 year was that one one-off team. So then we did. 2014. 2014, was... we had two full teams, and I've had two teams ever since. It's kind of morphed into a eighth grade at a high school, or depending on age, we'll do like last year we did two high school floats. But yeah, we've been doing that since 2014. And it was, it was just the need of I have these kids that need to get better at lacrosse. What can we do? And we put it together. So how did you end up? So. I'm going to make sure I got my, my chronological order here. So you're still at Cedar Ridge. Vista Ridge. When, Vista Ridge. When did you end up at Drip? So that and, and summer, that summer, I was coming, um, I, was not, I was about to get on an airplane and my phone rang and it was it was a mom um, of the goalie and she called me and she said, hey man, um, listen. <laughs> He's our, so thoughtful. He is very thoughtful. <laughs> um, our coach just quit. Like he, his job took off and he just doesn't have the time uh can we get you in for an interview i was like no like i live in cedar park i'm like no no i'm not no and my wife had this crush on dripping springs since we moved here when we first moved here she wanted to buy property in dripping springs and build out there and i was like we're, we're from north jersey we're from 20 minutes from new york city i'm like this is that i'm not living in the country there's no way so instead i chose suburban hell cedar park and we end up up there but so she could come in for an interview and she's like you have to go just go just go so I go in for the interview. I interview. Um, it went really well. But I had no idea that this kid's dad was the middle school principal. I had no idea that the high school principal was in the interview. And I had been trying to get a public school job now for two years. I'm still at this private school. Right. Making less than public school teacher. Applying for job after job after job. So I get a phone call two days later from the principal. And he says, we want to hire you as a teacher. It's like, what? Like, I was super confused. I'm like, I thought I was interviewing for a lacrosse job. He goes, yeah, you were. They're going to offer you that job, too. That's coming. Don't worry. But we're going to offer you this teaching job, and we're going to have this role for you, and it's a split role, and you're going to coach football, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. And I was like, huh. So did – I mean, it's an interesting story. What's interesting about it is it sounds like it was a coordinated effort between the lacrosse organization and the school. It was. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Because they what, – What brought that on? Because you don't the, hear the, about The goalie's right? father was a principal. So that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so they had me half day in the position I'm in now with the DAEP kids, which is like long term in school suspension. I would do that for a couple hours, and then I had a couple of study hall classes, and then I had football class. Like that was my day. That was my first year. It was just a mishmash of we want a lacrosse coach who's a teacher. 
So we're going to create a position for him. What was the why? So, and and, and dumb question, but 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 why did they want a lacrosse coach as, coach as a teacher, right? Was it cuts it, out. It cuts out the middleman on everything. So there's no. So a lot of times, what you hear is, you know, these teams need a quote sponsor, mm -hmm. right, or a representative from the faculty right. or whatever, right. right, to act as that intermediary. There's school districts that say. Well, that sponsor has to be at every practice, has to be at every yep. function, right? So were they eliminating all that? Is oh, that yeah. What the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it eliminated all that. We have the access, and we're lowest on the totem pole, but we have the same access as the basketball team, the football team, the baseball team for everything. Weight room, meeting rooms, classroom, field time, not paying for fields. We're treated as any other varsity sport um, we're still labeled a club. The athletic director, big proponent of our of what we do, um, just get a lot of support. And having a teacher there is what really elevates that because without a teacher, they don't know you. So is it is it institutionalized at this point, or is it still based on your relationship and that dad who's the principal? Oh, he's right? not there anymore. He's been okay. gone for a while. Yeah, he. Brand, you don't have to circle. You can sit down. <laughs> <laughs> he misses us. Um, no, he left. He he's up in Dallas. That principal. Um, he hasn't been there. I think three years now. Yeah, it's pretty institutionalized. I mean, and I'm not saying this like in any means of like I'm a good lacrosse coach or anything like that. Like if I left, I wonder what would happen, unless they got another teacher. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that would go. I mean, I'm not planning on that. It's not happening. But it's it's having the teacher is just so valuable. I mean, I schedule my own fields. I need a field, I do it. You know, I, I have, you know, right now, I, I have an opportunity for, you know, Deemer class to come down and work with my guys again. All I gotta do is book the field and he'll come out and work with my guys. And, and think about, I mean, you know, for me, right? The idea that you've got a classroom mm -hmm. and you can sit and watch film as a team, that's killer, right? We, we start our practice in the classroom <laughs> almost every single day. That's awesome. Almost every single day. That's awesome. Did. Um, I talked a little bit about this with Brendan Hunt at Langham Creek and then the, his episode that I had with his three players, TJ and all the guys that went up to, yeah. to Southwestern. Brendan opened up his classroom before, before school every day and he found all the team, right, accumulated in the classroom mm. and that became a big part of their culture. They just right? want somewhere to go, be together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you, do you have something similar? Yeah, so we have, um, we're lucky in the sense that there's an empty field house that doesn't even get used because they just built this new football stadium right next to the... Because our, our campus used to be flipped. The middle school was the high school, and then they flipped campuses. So up until two years ago, our high school stadium was still at the middle school. So the football team didn't have a facility. So we had the one field house, and they used that, and then they would practice there, but they played their games at the middle school. It was a whole thing until they built the new stadium. Well, now they built a new stadium, they built a new field house. So the football guys are over there, so they don't use it at all. Um, some of the other sports have their locker rooms in there and stuff, but we have these two empty classrooms, the, the, the adjoining classrooms that are rarely used. Uh, and the, the weight room was, because the football guys, you know, they take up the most of the time in the classroom in the weight room. They're in the other weight room. They're in the other classroom. So up until the last couple of years, we would be in the weight room three days a week. I actually had a, a, a NCAA strength coach who was retired from that who would work with my guys, was doing it for free, just loved working with athletes. Um, he moved, so we kind of cut it. And we're just, this year, the idea is 
it's the first year we're actually like the older team, so it's not as important. Um, we're trying to cut more time and spend a little more time in the classroom. But yeah, we have the empty classroom. We sit in there and, and we just sometimes we just t- touch base for five minutes. Yeah. And it's just it's another it's another environment. Um, and there's days we're in that room, we lock the door and leave the players in there. So you got to figure something out. Um, it, it varies, but it's a big it's a big piece of what we use the classroom. Um, we used to use my classroom. It's not with this many guys. It's not doesn't work anymore. Um, but um, yeah, the classroom's huge. With the field, we can pretty much get it when we want it. And um, you know, taking buses to away games, the ability to leave school early to go to games, so we can go play Anderson on a weeknight and get out of school at three instead of four fifteen. Beat traffic, stop and get food on the way, get there and have varsity and JV and then bus home. That's killer. We pay for it. We got to pay for that. That's not yeah, free, yeah. but Oop. we have the access. Yeah. We have the access to do it. Um, is do you offer? Is lacrosse considered a, a substitute for PE? Oh yeah, absolutely. So you get PE yep. credit for it. Uh, that's killer. And that and that's another thing that I find is inconsistent from mainly from school district to school district. So is that something specific to Drip High School, or is that something specific to the ISD that they offer that as? Well, we're the only high school in the ISD, but middle schools do it as well. Um, there's all kinds of they don't get they don't get they don't get um, you know that's a good question. There's some outside stuff because there's kids that are very competitive swimming and right. and equestrian and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I know at the high school level, I believe there's some middle school crossover for those fringe things. They they were getting PE credit before I was there. That's always been a thing. And I, what I've what my experience has been. You know, inconsistent from school district to school district. Some school districts realize, hey, whether they're playing a sport outside of school or not, who cares? It's physical activity, and that's sure. good for them. So we're going to give you credit. So others make it nearly very impossible, specific, right? Yeah, it, it's it's specific. Like if you let's say you're an equestrian, there's a lot of equestrian areas out there, or swimming. You have to get signed off every six weeks, and the person has to fill out this paperwork, and they have to, and it's yeah. a lot of work for the outside. I just send my roster to the registrar the last week of school, and every kid that played lacrosse gets a full credit. If they came out in the spring, I put an asterisk, they get half a credit. All right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. What, um, so let's talk about, I mean, before we got started, right, we were all getting nerded up because we were looking at your schedule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how you plan stuff, right? And what I, what I like, so there's two, for me, there's two reasons and, and two purposes behind that level of planning, right? A, it's efficient. And you can cram more in a day, right? But B, it also is a cultural thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you know, this is it, it sets a tone, right? right. It, it sets a seriousness from the, from the co- perspective of the sure. coaching to the sure. students that hey, this this is we take this serious enough that the coaching staff is getting together, meeting, planning a practice, a trajectory for a week, a yeah. month, a year, right? That's newer, um, really, for us the last couple of years, but not the culture. The broken down practices is, is a newer thing, um, you know let's touch on culture first. It's just so important. Yeah. And, you know, I, I go to, we were talking about the IMLCA. I've been to that. I go to LaxCon every year and you go talk to these guys and all they talk about at the highest levels is culture, culture, culture. Yep. Culture, culture, culture. And the first, well, and we were talking about it here, right? Go talk to, you know, there, there's a, talk to the David Cones and the Rich Moses of the mm-hmm. world and you and Brand, right? Culture. It's, yep. the, it's, it's the first discussion that comes out so of the mouth, important. right? It's all, we spend 70% of our day on it. It's, Without it, you don't have an identity. You don't have a brand. You right. don't you you don't know who you are. Um, 
And I would go to these things, and they would talk about culture, culture, and I'd be like, I want to know what drill I can go run that's going to make them catch a throw <laughs> Show better. me a defensive drill. Come Show on. me something. <laughs> Show me something. And we would go do it. And, and, <laughs> and the, my first few years there, you know, we – if you go back, uh, I want to give a huge shout-out to Darren Hess, my assistant coach. He's been there forever. He's been there since the program started. That, last year was year 10. This year is year 11 for us. Uh, this is year 7 for so me. So he's been on the drip staff Yep, that every long? year. Every year. How has he handled – tangent here. How has he handled the fact that, you know, there's other head coaches coming in? Is he cool with that? Does he understand it's his not, role? Does he care? He wants to develop young players to play right, lacrosse. Cool. He loves yeah, yeah. lacrosse. He's been around it his whole life. He – he played at the Air Force, played at UT. Uh, he was the, back in the 70s, was the all-time leading scorer and single-season leading scorer at UT and awesome. just loves the game. Yeah, Both yeah. his kids played. His kid was playing. That's why he was doing it. His kids were playing when I first started. And he's been with us since they graduated years ago. Um, first year, first two years, was just him and I. And we were, we were bad. We were not bad, bad, but the year before I got there, they were like 3-10, and 10, something like that. It was a lot of growing pains. We were in Division Two, went nine and nine the first year. Next year had a good year, and there's always that push, like push them up, push them up, push them up. D one, gotta go D one, gotta go D one. And we looked at it and we realized we looked at that year. We were like thirteen and eight and um, lost. TMI beat us in the playoffs, and we looked at our schedule. and And I had a really good team coming up the next year. It was all seniors. We were gonna have ten starting seniors, and these are the same guys I've had for the last couple of years. and we had games in there where we played, I want to say maybe it was Gateway when they first started, Rouse, teams like that that weren't very strong teams. Yeah. We'd win the game 20-0, to 19-0, 19-1, and all it was was my dudes doing bad habit things, just beating their guy, just doing dumb stuff. And then we'd go play good teams, and we would get crushed. It's so hard. It's so hard. At this age level to manage that. I try to tell my boys all the time, and I know you tell your boys the same thing. This isn't a great team we're playing. Let's mm -hmm. be honest. They're not a great team. We owe it to them to go out there and play hard, mm -hmm. right? You were in the same position they yep. are right now. You were in that position once yep. in your career, and you needed somebody to kind of, you know, so speak, quote, unquote, yeah. kick your teeth, keep teeth and provide yep. a real opponent, right? And, you know, if, if we get to some point early in the game and it's 20 to nothing, well, then it's 20 to nothing. Guys, you, you've got to play your game. Yeah. Right? And yeah. you've got to stop playing up and down to your opponent. Yep. Right? And we wanted to get more out of it. And we realized, like, we talked and we thought about it. And that was, that was after, after my first season, we go 9-9, nine and nine, we make the playoffs. It's a big deal. Like, we just made the playoffs. Like, it was a big deal. And I get the phone call from, from our coordinator. You know, it's probably time that you guys, you guys got to move up. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, I'm literally here a year. I'm still figuring this thing out. I think sometimes they do that just to see who they can bully, right? Well, so that was the thing. And I'm like, look, it's just not, it's just not, it's just not the thing. So the next year, I'm like, you know what? We're two years into this D2 thing, and it's so erratic of who you're going to play, who you're not going to play. Like, I really want this program to go forward. So I went in, and we, we grabbed it. And, and this, we're actually, we're starting, a, a, like, a drip hall of fame this year. Um, and our first induction is going to be our class of 2016 as a class because with 10 seniors who could have legitimately competed for a D2 state championship that year, we sat in a room at a coffee shop and we talked and said, listen, this is the best thing for the program. We need to go D1 this year. Like, but coach, we want to win. We want to do this. What if we lose? What if we're terrible? I'm like, what if we're terrible? What are you going to say to the kids that are here five years from now? Right. You can make this happen. You can be the ones. And then by the end of that hour, steered them a little bit, but they came up with the, 
yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Jump to D1. And then the league was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's time. You guys, you know, it may not be ready. And they made me wait a month. So we do it. We went 9-7. and seven. We went to the playoffs. We lost to Anderson at House Park. And my guys were walking off crying tears of happiness that we did this. We actually competed. We did it. This is great. This is amazing. We had to beat Austin at home to make the playoffs. I have a picture in my office of my guys from 2016, arms in the air, like, hugging each other because we won a game to go, like, 9-7 and seven to make the playoffs, just to get in. And it was the perfect season because we had ups and downs, and, and we – it was amazing, and they did it. And then I'm bringing them back now after they're graduating college to see the fact that we're going to have a D1, a D2, and a JV, and 65 guys, and guys playing in college. And they need to know that class, that meeting in that coffee shop that right, August. Right, It's because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an anchor, right? There's an anchor. For the, for the program, and, y'all, and you can point to it with them and talk about it. That's it. it. Right? That's uh, it. That's those awesome. are the guys. Um, those are the guys. And then that next year – Everything's trajectorying up, right? We're good, and the next year we, we're doing this. We're year two D1, we're 10-1, and one, and we're rolling. And we go up and we play Austin, and we crushed him at Aggieland that year. My guys are like, Pfft. Well, Jordan comes out with the game plan of the century. We lose that game. My guys are unraveling. I'm unraveling. We're freaking out. We're, we go one and three down the stretch. We go 11 and four, and we don't even make the, the city playoffs. I have parents want me fired. He hasn't beaten Westlake yet. He hasn't beaten Westlake yet. He's got to go. Well, who beats Westlake anyway? Right. Um, and it was bad. And then the fall was bad. Infighting. All right, guys, guys that played club ball with certain programs coming back thinking they were better than everybody. And and we're the man, and we got to do this. And this is how – and just like no, no team, nothing. No cohesion, nothing. And we got through the fall. And after we hosted our tournament, it was a disaster. We lost – Georgetown crushed us. Reagan crushed us. And we're thinking we're hot shit, and we're not. And we sat in the first time we ever, first time we ever had a classroom day, sat in the classroom, walked in. This has got to stop. We've got to figure out a way to do this. You guys got to figure this out. Figure it out. Um, locked him in the room. We went to Starbucks. We come back 30 minutes later. We walk in. We're not ready yet. Close the door. Okay. We go outside. We throw around a little bit. We come back in about an hour later. We're not ready. Hour and 45 minutes later, we come back. They have three whiteboards filled with everything that they're going to do. We have one tournament. We have the bitter tournament left for the fall. And they go do it. Great. Amazing end of the fall. Bought 14 copies of uh, Urban Meyer's book, Above the Line, because I got introduced to that through Coach Meyer, the lacrosse coach, um, at LaxCon, talking about a lot of the principles in that. yeah. yeah. You know, we not me, do your job, like everything he does with Ohio State and, and, and uh, Team USA. And bought 14 copies, coaches, and a, and a leadership council of players. And we came in, and they read it, and we sat – they actually read it. Like, they actually read the book. Blew my mind. Um, we sat in the room for three hours and came up with a one sheet of what our team was going to be and who we were going to be. Great. They wrote it. They wrote it. What um, was your role? In, in As they were developing that, what was your role? Were you steering it? Were you just completely steering clear of it? What was your role in that? I didn't have to do much. They really kind of steered it. I would just keep them on task because they would, you know, they're high school boys. They'll float off. But no, <laughs> they came up with it. The woods. <laughs> it, was, no, it was really great. And we just summarized the book and put what, what means this to us, what, what's going to translate to our team and our players. And then we decided, and I'm not, I'm not a hard-ass coach. I don't yell. I don't scream. I don't. 
that's just not how I am. But I decided that discipline was important. And by discipline, I don't mean like discipline, like you're in trouble, this is the consequence. Consequence and discipline are different. Discipline is just the act of doing the right thing over and over again. And we had to learn how to do that. So we came in that fall or that spring and we decided that everything they did was going to be monitored until they did it right. They wouldn't learn until they did it right. So little things. Um, You showed up late for practice. The entire team ran and you went home. I'm talking if you showed up at 6.01, you don't get to practice today. You go home, the rest of the team would run. Our bags get lined up under an awning, and you'll see over there our our bags are going to be in a straight line. If they weren't, we're running. We didn't put a goal in the field for two and a half weeks. Didn't put a goal in the field. We did running, ground balls, stick work for two and a half weeks. I was trying to make kids quit because if you weren't willing to put in that work, you just weren't going to be on the part of the team. And this is the year we changed to the drip logo. And we just, it was a full rebrand. Everything was just new. It was yeah. going to be just new. And it was really hard for me because I had to be a hard ass for a season. We had to flip the culture on its head. Just completely, complete. It was like going into a program and trying to flip it, but you don't know the kids, so you don't have. But I knew these kids. I coached these kids for years. So now he's got to be a hard ass. I didn't want to be, but I had to be. You knew their families. You knew mom I had and to dad. Be. We had to be. <laughs> and that season was amazing. Did, and in, in, that, in that exercise, right, did you and the different members of your staff play different roles? Or did you all play the yeah, same Yeah, well, role? I was the bad cop. I was the big bad cop. Um, we have a coach. Um, so David Schwartz is – Kind of like my associate head coach. He yeah, just I know him does from all uh, the, the, yeah, from lacrosse yeah. Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah, him real well. He <laughs> he does a lot of our planning, like a lot of the scheduling. You see, he does yeah. he does a lot of that. He's got a really good business mind, um, so he does a lot of the planning. And um, and then Cody Gould um, played at Canisius. He's just he's just like a light man. He just he just lights up a room. The guys love him. But did they, did they during that period, right? That year where you were you're turning everything on its head. Did they play those roles, or did they have different roles? No, they did. He was, the, he was the good guy. He was okay. the, he was the right. energy guy. He's just the hype guy. He's, he's our culture guy. We call him the minister of culture, just like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, he's the, he's the culture, culture guy. <laughs> so he's not really coaching with us as much right now because he's got a big job, and he's recruiting for, for dimensional fund advisors, and he's on college campuses, and he's always at Ann Arbor and Notre Dame and Big Ten schools. But we get him to show up, and when he does, man, these kids are just like, Let's go. Cody's here. Like, he's just – so he was that positive guy. I was the bad guy, and, and David was kind of in the middle, uh, more the analytics guy. He's like an the analytics business guy. Manager. Business, business manager. <laughs> um, and we, we did it, and top to bottom, JV and freshman, JV, when, freshman, varsity, everybody. When, and, when you did that, though, did those three roles that you, that you just described, when you all when y'all sat down and planned out this effort, did you did – you, Carve out those roles? No, it, just, it, was, it, was, it was organic. Okay. It was organic. We just decided that we're not putting up with this crap anymore. We're not letting the inmates run the asylum because it got bad that fall. We were so we didn't realize how lax we were until we looked back on it. You're late. You know, cool. Happy to have you. Yeah, like we just didn't we just didn't hold them to the standards we should have. We weren't holding ourselves to the standards we should have, and we just we we tasted we tasted like this much success, and we're like. So we went completely in the other direction for a year. And it's, and it's really important even today because we did that. And that's where the whole legs feed the wolf came from us because one day at practice, we're, they're running. They're just running. There was a day, we, I'm not even kidding, we ran for 45 minutes straight because somebody was late, bag wasn't put away, garbage wasn't put up, all this stuff just compounded. And we're like, we're just, this is the day they're going to all puke. We're just doing it. 
And the whole time they're going, Cody, the energy guy, is up and down the field. Legs feed the wolf, baby, let's go! <laughs> Running with them, spraying with them. So I was about to make that point, right? Because I do that with my boys a lot, mm -hmm. is I'll run with them. If whatever we're doing, right, I'll, I'll do it yeah. with them. There, yeah. There's something to that, Yeah, it's right? important. And Cody Wood, he, he, he's, a, he's a freak athlete, man. He played D1 lacrosse, great guy, great athlete. Um, you probably played with him in Louisiana. Oh, yeah, right. he's been down there with all us, right. and he's awesome. He really is, and uh, he would do it with him. He'd run with him, and he would go, he'd be the he'd finish first and be the most excitable. And it was important. And we just we broke it down and burned it down and built it back up that year. And, and during that process, you said earlier you you spent a couple weeks just just trying to sort out who wanted to be there and who fundamentals. Didn't. Who, how many people left? Zero. Really? Zero. Well, that's awesome. Zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We wanted a couple. Just they're like, we didn't want it. We didn't want it. Just being up front. There was one no, or two no, in there. No, but it wasn't like per kid. We just, we wanted to make the statement like, they can't hang. Zero. Michael, zero. They all stayed. Zero. Zero, zero, zero. And that year was amazing. And we went, we did it. And we we went to the playoffs and we, we beat Strike Jesuit. And we win a state playoff game. We're in the top eight teams in the state of Texas. And then we go and we play ESD the next day, and it's 13-1 at halftime. <laughs> and that's fine. And so, that's fine. So at that point, at halftime, at 13-1, right, was anything different? Well, we played at 4 o'clock the day before. It's a noon game the next well, day. No, no, but what I mean was culturally, culturally in the, in the, at yeah, halftime, on yeah, the sideline. Yeah, we saw some quitting. We did. We saw some quitting. Um... We saw some quitting there because some of the younger guys, some of the sophomores that were on that team, wouldn't go on the field. Like, we're really? we're day two of you know because the this, the super regional setup is dumb. Like you play two games, they're rested. It's not safe, um, and it's hot. But the younger they were terrified. These ESD kids were, I mean, monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were just and you're watching it and they were scared. They were scared. They were role players for us at the time and played. We're like you got to go and they're just like. You like push them on the field. They were just intimidated. So we left there, and it was and it was amazing. Like there was no, there was no. The final was twenty to three or something. But what I'm proud of is we played an amazing second half, and they didn't pull off. They had a kid going to Syracuse. Dude had seven goals in that game. He was shooting with three minutes to go in the game. They didn't pull off. We just played a much better second half. Deer and headlights. They ten manned us out the gate. We couldn't clear. They just jammed it down our throats and. It, what are you gonna do? They're gonna do they're that, just, man. They're 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 so good. Um, yeah. But on that bus ride home, I said to myself, I knew without no doubt, without question, the first game I'm scheduling last year, ESD. It was the first game I scheduled. Talked to Coach Southern. We got to do it. Well, we lost twenty to three the year before. Graduated two players that had like eighty percent of our goals, all American, all world players for us. A year later, we go it's nineteen to seven. That's improvement. That's what I wanted. All what, had to, what was the response of the boys in that game? We acted like we won the district championship. Got on the bus. We're high-fiving, like, hell yeah. Because we came out in the same first first beginning of the game. They were up, like, 9 nothing. It was just like, oof. Because they just steamroll you. It's an avalanche. Yeah, yeah. It's an avalanche. And then we played. We settled down after the first quarter. And we played them 50-50-ish the rest of the way, 64. We just played well. And I'm sure they weren't really going full, full tilt because that first, the first quarter against a team like that is just, you can stop it or you can't. And right. there's you're gonna learn real quick. Right? A very small handful yeah. of teams that can stop it, and um, <laughs> that's you know your Westlake, your Highland Park, Jesuit, any of those teams. But we were just so excited that we didn't we didn't quit at any point. We played amazing. We were super happy with it, 
we got on that bus and it was just like smiles all around. How did so? Yeah, when you mentioned that game, right? You mentioned it was the first game of the following season. Well, it wasn't the first game of the year, but it was the first game that I knew I'm schedule. I'm scheduling this game before any other game. Perfect. The so that next season, right? You'd spent the previous season, like you said, tearing it down, right? Rebuilding mm-hmm. it. What what differed in your approach? In that season, to this this past year, yeah, yeah. Well, at that point, the players earned autonomy. Um, they know the standards. They know the standards. So, I didn't have to teach the freshman class anything. The players taught them. We come up on the first day of class, and they're telling first day of practice. They're telling the kids where the bags go. They're telling the kids how we stretch. They're telling them how we do everything. Did you have to prompt those boys? Did you at say, "Hey, first, you're you're responsible for owning this," or did they just? Run with it. Last year, yes. Last year we had to prompt it. So it was the I do, you do, we do. Or I do, you do, you do, we I do, we do, you do. Right? So year one was like, we just tore it down. Last year it was kind of like, hey. And I'm, I'm talking about the little things like, and a big Coach Meyer thing is give me one. Your chin strap's unbuckled. If I see it, it's a problem. But if you see it, give me one. Like, it's a, it's a mental redirection. Buckle your chin. Your mouthpiece isn't in. Give me one. Right. You don't have the right. You don't have the right penny on. It's a problem. Like, but the players handle it. Last year was a lot of prompting. Like, hey, his buckle's undone. Maybe you should. So I don't have to. But this year, it's we don't have to do anything. It's amazing. We just don't have to tell kids to do things because they're policing themselves. And at, even, at what point does it become self-sustaining? Or do you think so it's reached that point? Right. So we're well. That's a big fear of ours right now because I have a class of 20-ish seniors and they are the culture right now, right? They are the embodiment of it. And it's super easy when you have that many kids. But we we decided we have to we have a couple of roles this year, right? We want to compete at the highest level. Um, we want to make sure that these guys are above all. It's like, look, I love winning. And again, going back to that whole like playing, we don't play bad teams anymore. My right. schedules are insane. I don't care if we have a losing record. I don't care. Right. Like, manufacture adversity and get over it. Yep. Right? Don't care. We play ESD, the Woodlands, Highland Park, Jesuit. I don't care. I don't care. Right? Um, you're never going to get better unless you play them. Um, but this group, and we kind of embodied, that's where the whole Wolfpack thing comes from for us. And it started with, like, Cody running up and down, running double Ds with them, screaming, let's go, legs feed the wolf legs. And then we watched Miracle on this, and then became, we became the Wolfpack, and it was kind of like the kids hated it, but the coaches loved it. And then we really dug into it. <laughs> And the whole Wolfpack thing is, like, Wolfpacks never die. Wolfpacks never die. And the way a Wolfpack is structured, you've got the alpha in the back and the elders in the front and the young in the middle and everyone's around them and they are one unit. And as the elders die off, the alpha goes to the front and there's a new alpha emerges and the young go out and the young go to the middle. And a Wolfpack is self-sustaining. So this fall, we just doubled down on the whole Wolfpack idea. So if you saw any of our Instagram, we had the whole Wolves yep. versus Tigers deal. Yep. How can we structure 67 kids on a field? Division one college commits freshmen who weigh 85 pounds and can barely catch and throw to all be in one thing. And we wanted to know what this is going to look like. And our biggest goal, the only thing we cared about this fall, we didn't care a thing about lacrosse, didn't care how are we going to make this culture transcend the younger group. So... It's what we do best, man. We got these kids in a room. We took our seniors, all of our seniors, and our returning varsity players from last year. And we sat them down and we said, guys, we're about to plan fall ball. This is like the first week of September. We're about to plan fall ball. What do you want out of it? What do you want it to look like? And how can we do that for you? Just flying off. We summarized it to 
few basic things. One, we want to have fun. Two, we want to compete. Three, we want as much team building as possible. Did that discussion, what was your role and your, your staff's role in driving that discussion? Or did you kind of writing, notes, fr- on the, frame writing notes on the board? Okay. So you let the boys run they it. They just run it. Okay. They've been doing this for a while. Like, man, these classroom sessions, we have a, we have a lot of them. We, sit, we are a bunch of men who sit in the room and talk about our feelings. It's crazy, and it works. <laughs> it's crazy. It really is. Something goes wrong. There's crisis. We do, but now we're doing it without crisis. We're doing it without an issue. Um, and we're really seeing results, and that's part of it. So we looked at that, and that was all David Schwartz. He did the whole Wolves-Tigers deal. Um, basically, we would split every week. We did, a, we did six weeks fall ball. First week was like, let's get back into it. Let's throw the ball a little bit. Let's get some skills back. Um, and week six was a game week for UT shootout, mainly because we wanted to – we're testing. We've never had this many kids on a field before. I've never had three teams. I don't know what it's going to look like. So we're trying to test. We did a couple test practices – for game week, what it's going to look like. While well, one team is watching film, one team gets a half field, the other team gets a half field, we flip, we do riding and clearing, they're over here. So that was for us. So the four weeks in between was Wolves versus Tigers. Split the team right down the middle. We had Wolves-Tigers, but an A and a B on each side. Okay, So there was things they did together. So like we stretch on each side of the field, Wolves versus Tigers. I'm up setting up my, my um, segment timer up in the window, watching. One of them is going to get a point for who stretched better. So like if you did your half lap while you're getting in your line and you cut a corner, you don't break it down t- together. Your jumping jacks aren't together. Like, we stretch really well now because they would watch, and which one of them would get the point. Um, we would do – then we would do, like, a, some stations, and you either got your point or you didn't. Then they would compete, um, like Tigers B versus Tigers A, Wolves A versus Wolves B. Um, and then you would have like a learning segment, and if like you had a kid, how did you determine who was on? It the... changed every week. Okay. I literally right. would like take my top two attack man, top two mid, like take a depth chart. So it wasn't something that that arced over the whole season. No, no. Every it's... week, every week it changed because I wanted different kids working with different yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I have some amazing leaders on our team. Jacob Joy. I mean, he is just far and away. He's a grown man. He was a grown man mentally when he was 14. Uh, Logan Crank, Joseph Guzaldo. These kids are just. They are so far above their age mentally and emotionally. It's insane. Um, it's just, it's just, they're so strong emotionally and, and mentally. I just needed them to just have as much interaction with these younger guys. Right. So there was days where I'm like, listen, Tigers B is really blowing it. Go join the group for a bit. Just they can't have this. Can't have this. Um, and then at the end of the week, so like after Monday, we'd have Tuesday, we would do an update, and they got into it. Like, this many points. Thursdays, the comeback. Friday. And then on Fridays, they were those, those competition periods were like, they were ripping each other's faces off. We've never played more physical. We've never played faster in the fall, ever, 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 than doing these dumb little competitions. And it was insane. And by the end of the week, one team would win. And then Monday afternoon, if Wolves won, they got Domino's delivered after practice. They got to pick up pizza as they walked off the field. Did that for the first three weeks. Week four... As, was Friday, then we had Thanksgiving break, came back the following Monday. I forgot to order it. Not one kid even remembered they were supposed to get pizza. <laughs> I love that. So that that's a – when I was at the IMLCA, right, those competitive, you know, drills, warm-ups, scrimmages, whatever, right, there's a lot of talk about making that yeah. competitive like you're doing. And I've done it in my practices – I mean – Honestly, not to the level you are, and I love what you're doing, but 
you know, I'll have, I'll turn conditioning drills in the competition, sure. right? Or turn a, you know, pick teams for any one drill, right? Pick teams and right and turn it into a mm -hmm. competition. And in my brain, the reason I asked the question, oh, is this a, I'm thinking, I mean, thinking either at a drill level or at like the season level, but the week to week that you're doing, I love that because then you start to identify, like you said, Tiger B's, you know, not doing great. Mm -hmm. right? We need to mix it up. I need some leadership with these particular boys or that mix of boys didn't quite work and we got to add something, right? Yeah. And, and flip Play it with for it. the next week, right? Yeah, that's awesome. And we moved guys up. I, I have two freshmen running with my D1 right now who, granted, they're athletes and they're really good lacrosse players. But between the ears, it's very high level. Yeah, yeah. And I need to reward that. And when I'm looking at the structure of what we're going to look like this year, like for year one especially, because we have you know 20 something seniors and they're not all D1 caliber kids, great kids, love them. They're not D1 lacrosse players, right? and that's fine. Right. It's fine. So the first year of D D1, D2, we're going to have a bunch of seniors on D2, because there's a good chance some of these kids would have quit lacrosse. Um, so what we're looking for on our D1 team this year, like we're putting together a team. We're not putting together a collection of the best 25 guys. Right. I need glue guys. We need younger guys who are going to be there to absorb this culture. So next year, right. they're moving from the middle of the pack out. There's so much more to think about than just assembling the best players on your varsity team. Oh, the stuff sure. you're thinking about. I need the kid, frankly, I need the kid who in a practice situation, right, he may not be a starter. I've had him where he wasn't a starter, probably didn't see a whole hell of a lot of time during games. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what, during practice he drove those starters, Have right? To. And Have that to. was just as valuable, yeah. frankly, as the kid who was on the field every, no doubt. every week, right? No doubt. Um, man, that's awesome. How long have we been talking? I feel like we've been talking for like three hours. I don't know what time we started. I don't either. That's all right. <laughs> that's cool. It's just, it's the culture, man. It's so important. And the biggest thing to stress, too, is like, and this is what we talked about before about like, you know, I had a high school kitchen where it was all over my head. And I don't learn at the most accelerated rate. And I go to some of these things, and I look at the X's and O's, and it's X, X's and O's aren't important to me. They're not. They are. I mean, they are, but they're not. It's not. The glue is the culture. And when you go to these events, I implore every single coach to go to Philly or Baltimore and go to LaxCon and go to IMLC and do this stuff and have the conversations. Because there's, like you said, great X's and O's talks. But they beat you over the head with the culture stuff. And it took me two years to finally yeah, be yeah. like, okay, let's give this garbage a try. <laughs> it changed everything. Giving the kids choice. What do you want to do? What's right? important to you? Well, and there's 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 three things that fundamentally motivate people, right? Mastery, autonomy, and purpose. Right? And you you've hit on two of those. Purpose, right? And autonomy. Right, super clearly in everything we've talked about. Purpose, frankly, is the most difficult one to get to. Yeah. Mastery's easy, so to speak. Right. Right. But autonomy and purpose, those are a pain in the ass to get to, right? And you've nailed purpose. Right. It's trial and error. Yeah, yeah. What makes them what makes them work hard? Look, are we gonna go beat Westlake, ESD, Highland Park? No. Right? Right now, no. If we ever want to. We have to be okay with losing to them in the short term. 20 to 3 to 19 to 7, that's nice. Right. That feels good. Right. What? Woodlands last year, uh, I don't know what it was. 17-6. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's do better this year and then do better next year and then maybe we get there. 
It doesn't happen overnight. You can't beat these teams, and that's what I keep telling them. We've gone from a bad D2 team to a good D2 team to an average D1 team to a pretty good D1 team, and I refuse to let them take an inch of the excuses. Like, our big thing, and going back to the Nick Myers piece, for us, it's everything's above the line, above the line behavior. We go on a road trip, we go on a restaurant. Like, I literally, if they make a mess, they're getting a mop out of the back, and they're cleaning it up. We're going to get off the bus, and they're going to now clean the whole restaurant not just the mess they made. They know that. They don't do that anymore. It's not an issue. But for us, it's, 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 it's no BCD, no blaming, no complaining, no defending. It's just there's no, there's no place for it in right. life, in, in sports. It's just it's such an amazing thing. And that's the, that's the whole, you know, the, 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 the teaching element of, like, it's going to transcend way more than the lacrosse field, at least I hope. You know, and, and I, I just like to – and I know, look, my guys, they're still knucklehead high school kids. They're going to do the wrong thing. I understand that. Right. But they would have done a lot more wrong things and would continue to do a lot more wrong things if we weren't doing what we were doing. The lacrosse is important, but it's not the end all. I mean, we went 6-11 we went and 11 or something last year. I don't know. I scheduled really hard. We made the playoffs. Nobody was upset. Right. I don't, think, I don't think my guys could tell you what our record was last year. But they could tell you they played ESD, Woodlands, Highland Park, ESD, Westlake, Jesuit. They don't want to play. They don't want to go. You know, they don't want cupcakes. They just yeah, don't. You don't. We've looked, but but two years ago they would have before before that before that year when we really really pushed them to the brink, they would have. Why? Um, I don't even want to talk about governance stuff. Do you care about governance? I, and, and there, so the reason I ask, right, because the more and more I talk to coaches and I think the outcome of, you know, the, the THSLO meeting and the vote that occurred this year, I, and, and it feeds into this conversation, right? I just don't know if I care, right? And, and Yeah, I'm really going down that path of not caring. I do care. I care too much. My wife's tired of me being but on these everything, calls. But and, everything you just, just talked about, everything, uh, it feels like it's been two hours, <laughs> everything we've talked about for the last hour and a half or two hours or whatever it's been, right. right? none of it has to do with governance. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, 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 and that's why I asked. It doesn't. You know, but I, 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 care, I care for the greater good because not everybody is in the same spot. And there's teams that are getting screwed right now. There are. There's teams that are getting way too much. Yeah, I don't know. Is there a fix? No, maybe not. Maybe. Who knows? Um, the only piece of governance I care about is transparency, and there's none. There's none at all. Absolutely not. And there's no. I'm on the coaches committee for the for the for the board, and even we get nothing. We just really don't. Um, we get two answers to everything. Changes. If the league could just be transparent, we could get so much more done. If we could just get everybody in a room. That's why this podcast is amazing. I don't get to meet these coaches yeah, yeah. because we're never in the same place at the same time. I got to learn about Cohen and Platt. I didn't know Cohen went to the Naval Academy. I didn't know that Platt and I were a year apart at Springfield. I didn't know any of this stuff. Right. It's cool. Yeah, it's it a lot is. of fun. Yeah, it is. And the league, I don't know, like a true state meeting over the course of a weekend where all the guys can go out and have beers on a Saturday night. And I could go talk to Coach Saran about what he's doing at Jesuit. And I can go talk to Coach... Coach Cohen about what he's doing at St. John's, that's value. So, but, and this is, I have a million ideas about where this project or podcast or whatever the hell this sure. is leads, right? And, man, you, you hit on something, right? 
Does the league need to do that? No, or can we do that. It doesn't. And we, coach, we could do that, right? Michael Brand and I have talked about this. We've talked about doing it, setting it up. And yeah, you want to centralize the league meeting around it because, like, if you can get everybody in one place, amazing. Like, the more reasons to get them, they're great. We've talked about just having a Texas lacrosse convention and getting a couple guys. And even as simple as whenever the state meeting is, we discuss on Saturday. We have a speaker Saturday night. We vote Sunday morning. That's a great start. Look, we can all kick in 50 bucks a program, right. 100 bucks a program to get a decent room, not a, not a gym or a cafeteria room, a decent room, get a college coach to come down here for the night, put them up in a hotel, let them drop some knowledge on us, and we all go home feeling like better coaches. Yeah. Now we go to these meetings, and we're all mad at each other. And it doesn't, like, look, Brandon and I have talked about this. Yeah, there would be cost involved in trying to get it up and running, and there's that, but We've talked about the idea of getting some coaches down here and educating coaches. Go to conventions. Go to watch YouTube. There's, I feel like there's, there's a divide of coaches who are willing to do that and those that are not willing to do that. And we could grow as a state if everybody did that. Yep. You know, as a convention, getting everybody here. I don't know. People, Westlake did a, a camp with the Duke coaches two years ago. They had a coaching committee, a coaching um, talk that night and invited every coach in Austin. Every coach in Austin. It was Donowski. It was his entire staff. Matt was there. Um, all of them. All, all, all of them. And they talked for two and a half hours in a room of 11 people. Nobody showed up. John Donowski was at Westlake High School giving a free coaches clinic. No one was there and to no hear it. no one was there to hear it. It was me, Zach and Anderson, the Westlake High School coaches and four parents. <laughs> the only ones there. It was amazing. It was a conversation we, with I'm, the Duke yeah, coaching staff. I'm, I'm, I'm with you a, a thousand percent on this. We, we, we don't. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to organize the, you know, some THSL meeting or governance or whatever around it. But the reality is, we as coaches we need to show up. Could well, we could stand up a day and a half or a day. And like you said, have a speaker, have a few sessions. Like We could do it. You're telling me if Rich Moses and Cone and, and some of these guys stood in a room and each had a topic we couldn't learn from each other? So Why does the Ohio yeah. State coach want to learn from the Richmond coach? Ohio State's here. Richmond's here. Right. It doesn't matter. We're all smart guys. Yep. We can all learn from each other. Yep. I don't know. It's a thought. It is a thought. Why not have a homegrown convention? I don't know. It's good. It, it, it might be going somewhere with this. There's value in that. Man. There is. Like to, to your point, the the and so when I was at IMLCA, right? To your point, X's and O's were unbelievable. Tactical discussions were incredible. Cultural stuff was crazy, right? But it was the clearly it was the networking. Mm -hmm. It was every sure. coach that you could, and I was. Dude, I'm a lax nerd, right? So, yeah. you know, when I stepped out of the elevator and nearly got run over by Coach Petromala, I was all, all, yeah, of course. I was like a little school For girl. sure. I was like, oh, this is awesome. He almost ran me over. I have a, I have a, I have a Duke lacrosse hat, the old three-bar snapback that I have that I found, like, I don't even know where I found it. It's from, like, it's from like the 80s. And I, you know, I brought it. Have John Donowski sign it because I'm, awesome. I'm having all the Deemers signed it. Miles Jones has signed it. All those guys that won those titles. I'm gonna get all their signatures on this hat. Awesome. But I mean, it's you know, it's cool. 
but, but, like, it's, it, it's, but the, it's the networking. It's the networking. Right? It's, it looks really cool in my classroom. Well, no, but the 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 the, the, the IMLCA event, right? It was the, the it was the networking. It was the dinners, mm -hmm. right? It was sitting down drinking coffee with yep. people, right? Yep. I'll, I'll be honest, I was thoroughly and completely intimidated by it, mm -hmm. right? Um, I didn't, I couldn't find anybody else from Texas who was going. There certainly wasn't anybody else from Houston going. Um, so I was a little bit intimidated by it. And well, let's make that happen next year. I'd love to get back. It, uh, I, I, Rich Moses said he was going next year. You're in. Um, who else? I talked to somebody I'm else. I'm going recently. to. So we do, we I do, do you, I've been doing LaxCon. LaxCon isn't quite up there as far as the. LaxCon's good. Um, it's not as high level. I am LCA. Like, you're blown back. You're blown back. The amount um, of information there is. It's incredible. insane. But I'm bringing two of my assistants to LaxCon this year. That's awesome. We, right. needed, we needed one more coach. We needed one more coach. Can't find him. Don't have one. Yeah, I was going to say, if you find an offensive coordinator <laughs> yeah, somewhere around Magnolia. I'll well, here's you. what I did. I'm, I'm, taking the, I'm taking the money that I had earmarked for that last coach, and I'm spending it on, on educating the coaches I, I have. I was going to say training, right? Yeah, yep. Absolutely. absolutely. Dude, okay, we've got we've to figure out what this Texas lacrosse convention looks like and make it for Texas coaches and, and, and figure out where we do it, how we do it, figure out it's the one-day agenda, man. And, and some, a speaker that night, folks can you know, drink and go nuts, stay overnight, and then everybody go back home on Sunday morning, right? Uh, amazing. I mean, it, it, And just completely go around. Just to get to know each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to get to know each other. There's some really cool coaches around here, and we never get to see them or talk to them. Right. And we're all passionate about the same thing. And there's not that many people in the state that are passionate about what we're passionate about. Yeah, yeah. That's I met you group. in Louisiana <laughs> playing men's league. Like... You know, like it's it's really cool to meet new people. Yeah, yeah. It really is. Yeah, we need to make that happen. We need to figure out what this is. I think the first step one is like finding out when they're available. There's too much club ball and too much everything else. Like, just gotta find that dead time. But then everyone wants off. I don't know. Find no, a way to do you, it. But you, no. If you make it worthwhile, sure, people sure. Will show up. The right, no, pe show the right up. people will show up. Right. There's gonna be some people who don't. Who cares if it's small year one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. You get a high school kid to come out, shoot some cool video, make a little one-minute trailer, make it really appealing. Year two, people show up. Yeah. People show up. All right. That's a good idea. I'm going to put that in my idea bucket from this crazy thing I'm doing. Let's do it. <laughs> so right. let's, we, talk about, let's talk about you for a second yet? here. Well, just one question. I mean, am I the first, am I the first guest since you've been the head coach at Magnolia? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, considering it's been about... 48 hours. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm excited. Uh, I am excited about the X's and O's, right? I'm confident in my X's and O's. I've, I mean, I focus on defense. Everybody knows that. Yeah. And I'm excited about bringing focus to defense. But it's the cultural stuff where I think I can have the biggest impact, right? There's so few organizations and teams in the Houston area that have a, like, a, there's a defined culture. Right. Right, um, we always refer to David Cohn. Right, David Cohn at St. John's, unbelievable. Yeah, right. What he's doing is unbelievable. Um, Probably the only program I would travel to play for one game. It's worth it. Oh, right? absolutely worth it. And you um, know how classy he is. Yeah. We go play him last year. We leave. He had piles of pizza and ice cream and drinks waiting for us for the ride home. Really? Yep. Oh yeah, no doubt. I will tell you what, his staff is unreal. Yeah. The coaching staff that he's assembled, his 
I apologize. I'm going to either butcher or and or forget Ronnie's last name, his defensive coordinator. I'm actually meeting with him on Tuesday, right? So I'm going to be kind of making my way through Coach Cohn and his staff and picking their brains on this podcast as well. Again, you know, meeting with him again. So I'm I'm super pumped about that. Um, but yeah, there's just so few folks, and I think there's so few folks right now in the Houston area and maybe in Texas that are spending that the time required on the cultural piece. But it's got to do with just the, the people who do it, right, are the folks who have the time to do it, mm-hmm. right? Whether mm-hmm. it's they're dedicated to their craft and they're mm-hmm. carving out the time in their life and sacrificing to do it, or it's their full-time gig and they've got the opportunity it's to do It's unconventional it, right? because you think that being a better lacrosse team is learning how to play better, catching and throwing better, but you 10x your lacrosse output when you have a unified culture and a reason for kids to come. Right. Yep. And it's... It, the start is tough, but once it's once they're leading it, you yeah, just yeah. pull the reins off. A really good podcast to listen to, in my opinion, for we use it a lot this year for coaching is uh, Think Like a CEO, Gary Keller. Um, right. It's it's season two. Listen to it. Maybe the whole season's ninety minutes, but it all talks about. Uh, Take a listen. Let me know what you think. It, it just helps on any sort of organizational leadership, and it's, we've just really applied it to coaching. What's, and I made all my assistants listen to it. What's great is, I. So in my professional career, right? There's a lot of we talked about this earlier. There's a lot of crossover from my super, quote, real career yeah. and my coaching career, yeah. and I find myself listening to podcasts for work, Harvard Business Review podcasts that you would think, oh, work. Yeah. Dude, no. no they all, all those Harvard Business Review podcasts I listen to, I apply them more thousand percent. to my coaching. Thousand percent. Right? And I love that. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Right? And it just speaks to, A, we, none of us know shit, and we need to look in other places to learn, right? I, look, I, my X's and O's knowledge is mediocre at best, but I really feel like I do a really good job of working with these kids and making them unified in a goal. And that's not something you just have you learn it everything is learned i mean i listen to a lot of podcasts i listen to a lot of stuff read a lot of books and figure this stuff out because i'm not smart enough to come up with it well and that's the so and that's the thing right and what i loved about your story was right your approach and and you change from year to year you change proactively from year to year right what you can't do is go in and say well this is how i run things no it doesn't work. and this is how it's going to work for Mm -mm. from here on out Mm -mm. right you, you got to adapt and change. Right? You got to have that mindset that says, "How boring is that?" Yeah, I know, right? How boring is that? <laughs> right? Oh, God! That reminds me of uh, Chris Arnold back in the day. Right? He would do stuff from a during the course of a game or game planning perspective, ju- and he would tell the boys, "Let's just do it just because it's fun." Right? It'll be fun. It's one of the three things my guys said. They want fun. They want to compete, and they want to work on team building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We gotta wrap this up, but I want to come back. I want to, so I'm gonna have to make a trip to Austin. Yeah, and I want to drill into the mechanics of like practice plans, for sure, and stuff like that for at some sure. point. We we just can't do it now. We're gonna no, people are gonna be like I, I always I complain because my commute to work is too short and it's hard for me to fit podcast in. Right, people are gonna have to like drive to Dallas and back. I know to I get know. this podcast. I told you, man, my <laughs> wife and I were driving back from Destin this summer, and I cranked out like four or five of these in the row on the overnight drive. That's awesome. What does your wife make of all this? Of lacrosse, yeah. I mean, as invested a, as you could possibly imagine. Cool, because it's a full. It's tough, dude. As a, yeah. as a she loves his wife. She she got teary eyed Saturday night after I got home from UT because she I walked in the door and she said, 
these boys are about to graduate and I don't know what I'm going to do without them. That's cool. She's at everything. She's at every tournament. She's there with my daughter. That's she cool. missed a lot last year because with the newborn and 10 o'clock games and everything right. else. She's at every tournament. She tried like, she's not here this weekend. She was working. This was the last minute. We put it together this week, but she works her nursing schedule around our lacrosse season to be at everything. Not because yeah, she yeah. wants to be there for me. She's because invested. she fell in love with these boys and yeah, their parents yeah, and their invested. families. It's a family, man. Yep. It's a big family. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, yeah. when it comes to the, the league stuff and complaining about that and those phone calls, she's not in on that <laughs> one bit. But if it involves any one of these kids, yeah, that's she's cool. there. Cool. All right. Yeah, let's wrap this up. We're definitely going to follow up. So you, you're going to be in rarefied air because – the only two other people I've told I want to follow up with so far, uh, David Cohn and Rich Moses. Fantastic. So it's David Cohn, Rich Moses, and you now. Well, when we follow up, we got to get Swartz there because he's the business mind. Cool. He's the business mind. Somebody so. behind you waving. <laughs> All right, cool. No, absolutely not, but it is a podcast. Yeah, we're doing a podcast. <laughs> All right, man, I we appreciate it. We have fans. It. Yeah, I know, right? It's so cool. This is great. That's so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. So, man, I appreciate you taking yeah, time. Yeah, this is psyched, man. I was When you asked me to do it, I was really excited. That's killer, dude. And, you know, I'm a bit of a fanboy on the podcast. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs>